Mr. Neelix has heard on good authority that one of our crew will be leaving the ship in a few days. Naturally, he's curious about the identity of this person. What are the security issues here? I don't believe there are any serious concerns, Captain. There is no need to withhold this information any longer. Lieutenant Paris has asked to be put off the ship. Huh? I'm sure you're aware that he's had some problems lately. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Heat. This week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 20, Investigations. Yeah, we'll look into that a little bit, I guess. The mystery just keeps getting deeper and deeper. Mm. It originally aired on the 13th of March, 1996. Isn't that near your birthday? Two days after my 10th birthday. See, I can get close to things sometimes. My brain's bad with calendars. Who was it written by? It was written by Jeff Schnaufer and Ed Bond, neither of whom have any other credits to their name whatsoever. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about Death Wish, Mm -hmm. you had said that the reason why Sean Piller wasn't allowed to have like soul writing credit okay you had said that sean pillar was not allowed to have he wasn't allowed to write or like be the sole name on the screenplay because they would not have allowed anyone else to just be like here's my first screenplay ever and have that be an episode of star trek and That's Michael Pillar was not going to play any favorites. That's and yet we've correct. got these two jokers. <laughs> who are not, who do not have the, their sole name on the screenplay. They are have the story credit. The teleplay credit is by Jerry Taylor. Okay. Okay. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and it was directed by Les Landau. <laughs> like, what you were telling me, I feel like Michael Pillar being like, you know what? In fact, just to make sure no one thinks I do favoritism, I'm going to be with these jokers. <laughs> Soul credit. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, the, they have the story credit, which means they came up with the idea. And then Jerry Taylor has the teleplay, so which means she crafted the screenplay. Now, as with all of these episodes... Well, most of these episodes, anyway. Uh, when we see teleplay by one person, unless it's not someone in the Voyager writer's room, what that really means is teleplay by the Voyager writer's room, and this person gets the, gets the credit this week. Cool. Our synopsis from TV Guide. Paris is transferred to a Talaxian convoy, where he is kidnapped by the Kazon, causing Neelix to suspect that someone on Voyager told them he'd be there. Okay. Memory Alpha says, Neelix searches for a traitor aboard Voyager using his morning news program. Ironically, what led him to searching for a traitor on Voyager was information from a traitor. Mmm. Yeah. Traitor! No, no, the other one. (laughs) So, speaking of the morning news program, uh, the original, in fact... The original script for this, and in fact, they started production this way, was to have this be entirely the news program. Oh, interesting. That would have probably felt a little ahead of its time. A little bit, yeah. Uh, The studio nixed that idea because they Mm. wanted action scenes with Paris. Mm. Well, I I wonder if they could have done, like, majority newsreel, quote-unquote, 
and with like flashbacks like him interviewing paris yeah that could have worked but that wasn't what they did hmm. but yeah like i mean not too much later shows would do stuff like that um because the west wing had a documentary episode. that was a special one-off episode it was it was a documentary it was like things happened in that episode but it's always like it's not this yeah no the closest example to this is another one that uh on another show is actually stargate uh which is an, another one that blends regular episode with clips and it's the um i am heroes part uh the two-part episode with the documentary crew okay okay yeah i haven't seen that in forever and it has the guy from um i'm blanking on the name what's the show about the collection of weird artifacts warehouse 13 yeah. yes it has yeah tim uh, yeah that guy yeah, it. yeah yeah it also has um adam baldwin in it yes it does yeah he's in the field yeah yeah that was a solid episode yeah and we'll get to that on stargate weekly in several years someday yes that's season eight meanwhile this episode yes of voyager <laughs> yes so my first takeaway from briefings with neelix which is a dumb name he should have a harder. briefing with neelix i don't even care it's 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 a bad name either way like when the show makes another appearance later, it's simply called Good Morning Voyager. Uh, that's a little too in the real world for me. Yes. Uh, maybe like Mornings with Neelix? Or, I don't know. Like I, I'm such a fan of alliteration that I'm like looking for like words that start with N, like the news with Neelix, or like, or like... Uh, Neelix at night, but that could be like weird. Like I like Neelix at night, except that yeah, that could be like on the other hand. Yeah, that's that's like what used to show on HBO after midnight. I really yeah, I didn't want to go too far down that road. But anyway, my main takeaway from other than the terrible name uh, is just how poorly the whole like we're shooting it on film sort of like vibe that it has to it like how poorly that has aged yes because when you shoot something today it wouldn't look like that (laughs) yeah and like there are ways they could have done it to still make it look like it was being actively recorded such as this program they could have kept the record thing in the bottom but not and even like the weird graphic that like flipped back and forth but yeah it it, i I wasn't crazy about. but we learn ensign baytart's first name yeah Pablo? Yes. That's... What? Ensign Baytart got two name drops and an off-camera hello. Yeah, I mean, he you know, he's he's doing great. We still haven't actually met the guy, but... Yeah. You know who we do see on camera this episode? Was it Ayala? No. Oh. We see the King of Jordan. Oh, yeah? Yes. When? So... Very be- towards the very beginning of the episode, after the briefing with Neelix, uh, is he the guy talking with uh, Harry in the hallway? Yes, he doesn't okay. say anything because he's not a member of the Screen Actors Guild. He could be if he wanted to. He was the Crown Prince of Jordan at this time. Sure, but he's 
a big Star Trek fan. He was in the United States. He asked if he could visit the set, and then they gave him the option, the opportunity to have a walk on roll. So there he goes. Yeah, he is Abdullah bin Al Hussein. Some people may or may not know that he's actually recently, as the King of Jordan, uh, been working off and on trying to get a Star Trek theme park off the ground in Jordan. Interesting. So if that ever comes to fruition, like, that'll be cool. So the King of Jordan's like a real big nerd then. Oh, yeah. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have a briefing with Neelix. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, before he talks to Harry, it fades to him in sickbay. Yes, and he asks the doctor what he thinks, and the doctor says, I'm a doctor, not a performer. Yes, but then he all the same, like, pitches the idea of celebrity to the doctor. Yes, and it's amusing because as the doctor's character grows throughout the show, he will become a performer. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. One other thing I touched on with in, in the initial thing was him being like, and we'll have hollow programs uh, recommendations, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if we'll recommend the Everyone Let's Kill Neelix program. <laughs> like, and this one here seems to be a real favorite amongst the crew. It's called, oh. Maybe I should check this one out. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Neelix ever wanted to punch himself in the face. So yeah, so he uh, you know he talks with Harry, and Harry gives him some pointers on how to be a real journalist, according to the guy who wrote at his college newspaper. Yes, everything about Harry. There's this like, and this is this episode's example of why Harry is always going to be an ensign, <laughs> where he feels like, and a lot of this like like chalks up the fact that he's twenty three or something, and like fresh out of the academy. Mm-hmm. Which is that, like, he feels like all the experiences he's had so far have been prime examples of things. Tom Parrish is the best pilot he ever saw. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, my experience writing on my college newspaper, it's like, yeah, experience is good and all of that. But at the same time, it's like... Harry Kim is, in fact, exactly 23. Okay. It just feels like he puts, like because he's 23 way more stock in all of these experiences than they actually deserve mm. well remember what you were like at 23 <sighs> yeah similar to how i am now but reversed yeah same here neelix is back in his quarters and he has a message from an old dilithium scrubber friend of his or <laughs> yes. whatever the sort of like That's friendly insult said, was. yeah dilithium scrubber. yeah <laughs> who's now the communications master on a convoy and hey you know a crew member of yours is gonna be joining our convoy pretty soon so that's interesting yeah which definitely gets neelix's wheels turning a little bit and then we get the theme and now we're in janeway's ready room where she's like how'd you get this information who gave it to you where'd it come from how do you know he gives her the skinny and she then calls tuvok in to see if there's a security issue yes tuvok takes approximately five seconds to watch to walk from his station to Janeway's ready room which seems about right yeah yeah, yeah. i was a little bit quicker but what are you gonna do vulcans but it, he it, his station is on the other side of the bridge no it's not so is if it, we're the ready okay if you're facing if we are facing the captain's chair the ready room's to the right the ready room's to the left as you're facing the captain's chair 
Mm-mm. Ready rooms to the right. If you are no no, if you are like imagine you're the view screen. Yeah, no. And the captain's chair is on your left down the center line. Yeah. And Tuvok Station is immediately behind the captain's chair. Mm-hmm. And the ready room is off to the left. I'm uh, sure the ready room's to the right. Well then what's off to the left? The conf- the observation or the conference room? You are correct. I was wrong. Conference room is by Harry Kim Station. Ready room is by Chewbox Station. Vindication. So, yeah, five seconds. Dang, Chewbox. He, he dawdled. Yeah. Vulcans. Yeah. So, yes, this is when we find out that the crew member in question is actually Tom Paris. I'm sure, Neelix, you noticed how Tom Paris has been, like, a real dirtbag the past couple of months. But he's been trying to put that behind him. And failing. Yes. So, uh, Neelix asks if uh, he can go talk to Paris, and Janeway says, yeah, sure, fine. So, now we're in Paris's quarters where, man, future clothes are so weird. Yes, yes, they are. Paris is wearing, like, all shades of brown, and, like, it looks like it's made of comfortable material and everything, but, whew, future fashion. Oh, boy, don't sign me up. (laughs) <laughs> there's some gray in there as well okay because he's How packing exciting. his clothes in the suitcase yeah uh neelix wants to make sure that it that uh they had truly put their animosity behind them and then that that paris's leaving had nothing at all to do with neelix and and their you know former headbutting and paris is like no 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 it's, it's it's all on me i'm just a terrible person i sabotage myself because i'm terrible and also, I'm terrible. I've done this to myself, just like always. No matter where I go or who I'm with, I make a mess of things. Yeah. They have a heartfelt hug, and mm-hmm. Neelix goes back to the mess hall. Yes. Uh, I think he then gets interrupted by the doctor. The doctor ambushes him. He's been waiting on his screen all this time because he apparently <laughs> yes. has nothing better to do. Other than I think up snappy titles for his upcoming meta episode. Uh, this one is called... How to keep your nostrils happy. <laughs> How does one keep one's nostrils happy? What am I not doing to my nostrils that I need I to be doing? I mean, it's winter right now, so I'd love to know what to do to keep my nostrils happy. Because they keep drying mm. out and getting oh, like yeah. gross. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, Paris says, no, 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 no. Sorry, we can't do a bit with you. Uh, I'm going to have a really important story tomorrow. You'll understand tomorrow. Yeah, he's got to you know keep it secret until he releases it for the big reveal. And keep it safe. Mm-hmm. And, and so now we cut to Neelix doing his big farewell bit about Tom Paris. Which was very nice. Yeah. You know, interspliced with various members of the crew watching the broadcast and Cass and Neelix saying goodbye in what was almost certainly Transporter Room 2. <laughs> yes, it was. Because <laughs> it's what they use later. Yes, no, I know. Uh, and like that, Tom Paris is gone, and we're in the conference room dealing with the fact that Tom Paris is gone. So, Paris had already been relieved of duty. Shouldn't there already be someone as the interim, at least the interim head of the helm department, or whatever you call it? Yeah, there really should have been. Like, he, there should have been a clearly clearly delineated chain of command. Yeah. Who was Tom's second? Yeah, like, that should have already been in place. Like, why wasn't Baytart in that room? Yeah. 
because then we wouldn't need to know what Baytart looks like. Yes. But I'm just saying, it's like, like since he's been mentioned the most out of all of the, you know, Helm crew. Well, no, they, they mentioned Hamilton, and wasn't that the guy from last week? Who we actually see on screen? I actually can't remember who the guy from last week was. I'm checking. Okay. Oh, no, it was Grimes. We have not seen Hamilton before. So we're, uh, you know, like I said, we're in the conference room. Oh, we also get a... We get a quick mention of the problem with the engines in the conference room. Yes, and then Jonas comes over the comms. Keen-eared listeners would have remembered from last episode when Seska was telling Jonas to do this to the engines. Yes, and he comes over the comms to say that the magnetic constrictors have lost alignment and bad things are happening. It has infected other parts of the warp core, which seems like a weird word to use. Yes, a little bit. I like the scene in engineering when Torres says... Don't let the PTC temperature get above 3.2 million Kelvin. Mm -hmm. Immediately it goes above 3.2 million Kelvins. Right, so it wasn't fine for very long. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of like weirded out by how hot that gets, but... That is super hot. Yeah. Uh, Jonas then says, well, how about, like, I, I guess we're going to have to, like, vent the, the, you know, the plasma, vent the stuff. And she's like, no, no, that's going to blow out the, the things. It's like it's better than the warp core exploding. Yeah, no, exactly. But here's my thing. If, like, venting warp plasma is a thing that they, like, it's not an uncommon thing on Starfleet vessels. I think it's when it's this hot that they can't vent it without No, 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 things. no hear me out okay it's not an uncommon thing yeah like, like it's a thing that happens it's not like yes it's an emergency action but it's not super uncommon right also the engineers at starfleet know how hot the warp core can get before it either a melt or b explodes so torres shouldn't have argued that one is what you're saying no i'm saying that the starfleet engineers should have made it so that whatever con like whatever avenue the plasma had to take would be rated for the absolute maximum if it goes Uh... like like, this is the temperature where it melts and then added 10 percent to reinforce them already like, she should not have had to ask them to reinforce the conduits to, like, try to prevent burnout. The conduit should have already been ready for, like, 110% of the whole ship is going to melt to slag temperature. So you're saying that Benjamin Sisko was asleep on the job when he was designing ships at Utopia Planitia before being assigned to Deuce Stein? Yes. Okay. That's, I think, no, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. It's all yeah. Benjamin Sisko's fault. Sounds about right. Well, I mean, it's fine. He's a figment of uh, O'Brien's imagination anyway, so... That's true, yeah. So it's O'Brien's fault. <laughs> I would absolutely believe that in O'Brien's fantasy world, the technology doesn't work the way it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> because... Well, think about it on DS9. The only stuff that's bre- that breaks is the Starfleet stuff anyway. <laughs> the Cardassian... Well, he's always complaining about the Cardassian stuff breaking, but anyway. <laughs> anyway. So... Yes. But, like, I would believe that in O'Brien's fantasy world, yes. It's like... Because that's, like... That was, like, the whole thing with DS9. It, it, it breaks so that he's needed and useful, right? Mm-hmm. So, like... Because, like, Transporter Room 3 never breaks. Right. In the Enterprise. 
they hardly ever use it. No, on on the Enterprise, they use Transporter th- Room Three as much, almost as much as Voyager uses two. Oh, okay, fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so they they vent the stuff, but in the process, consoles explode, obviously, and Jonas and two other crew members get burned. Jonas plays a hero before he gets burned, too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. which causes was- him to get burned. Yes. So we're in sick bay and seeing some of the doctor's legendary uh, bedside manner. I especially like when he speaks about the patient that's right there looking at him and he just says, well, this one's not badly hurt. Right. Instead of saying, you're not too badly hurt, we'll just <laughs> yes. administer a dose of whatever. Yes, exactly. Or, or I mean, like maybe like, you're actually not too badly hurt or something along those lines. Like He just has no bedside manner. That's, yeah. He, he needs to download a bedside manner subroutines and to replace that dancing one that he's mm. not going to use again. Indeed. Uh, yeah, so after sickbay, uh, Janeway calls Neelix to the bridge. Janeway, yeah, while he's in sickbay, she calls him, because he was going to be interviewing Jonas as the hero of the hour. Yes, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she says that they need Verterium Cordite. Is that a one and done? It is, in fact, a one and done. Verterium Cordite is a one and done. I'm uh, checking if Verterium and Cortinum are as well. Hmm. Verterium is, and Cortinum is. So does that three one and dones in this episode at a minimum? It, it's a it's one one and done made up of two other one and dones. One's in done. Let's let's give it two then. Okay. <laughs> and Neelix happens to know where a planet of a consortium, where a planet that has a consortium of non-aggressive people might sell minerals to them. How convenient. Yeah. And it's apparently close enough to get to at imp- on impulse power, too. Yeah. And incidentally, as our dog-eared listeners <laughs> will remember from other episodes, it happens to be the same location that Seska had, had said where they're going to ambush Voyager. Yeah. So all is going according to Seska's plan. So what I'm hearing is Neelix is working for Seska. Uh, yeah, I think that that seems to be the most likely conclusion at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a Talaxian convoy that that Tom Paris goes to. He names the same planet as Seska does. I think they're in cahoots. Mm-hmm. And we have no evidence at all pointing to anyone else on the ship at this point. So... It's Neelix. Yeah, 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 I'm fine with that. And for the rest of the episode, it's Neelix... Uh, you know, since we see this episode mostly from Neelix's point of view, it's Neelix influencing the narrative to make it look like he's not at fault. Yeah. I like his plan more and more. Okay. Jonas was just a patsy. Yeah. Except not. Jonas was also... <laughs> e- it was just the worst. We mean also, Jonas. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, so right about now is when we find out that the Talaxian convoy has been attacked by the Kazon. Uh, they, like, roughed up the ships a bit, but they, like, rolled in kidnapped paris and rolled out they didn't like steal any of the cargo blow up any of the ships in the convoy nothing so last week i said what about the kazon and you said well the kazon don't attack random people they just attack each other and yet in this episode neelix mentions that no talaxian convoy would tell the kazon where they are it would be inviting them to be attacked Okay, my bad. 
I was just going off of like the information that we had at the time, which like didn't come across as the case on being pirates, but I guess I was wrong. Uh, yeah, so Paris has been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. This is no good. And now we're, and it cuts straight to the Kazon ship. Seska and Paris are talking, and Seska is trying to recruit Paris to her side, which definitely feels like her side, not necessarily the Kazon side. Yeah. Well, I mean, we knew that going in, that Seska yeah. is sort of playing her own game. Yes. Plans within plans. So... <laughs> Seska leaves Paris alone in this room with an active computer console. Uh-huh. Because... Because that makes sense. I... Sometimes people are dumb. Yes. So, we're back in... We're back on Voyager. hmm So, Neelix is down in, uh, in engineering to be an investigative journalist and nose into things and try to make a name for himself. Just so long as you can make a name for yourself as an investigatory journalist. What did you think I didn't know what a Ugoogly was? <clears throat> and yeah, Torres gives him access to the commu- to the subspace communication logs, which in this scene in particular, uh, usually they're pretty good at this, but in this scene it was very obvious that it was a CRT monitor inside of a static display. Uh, yeah, there were... A couple of scenes in this episode in particular that kind of jumped out at me like that. Uh, this one and Paris on the Kazon ship. Yes. Which, I mean, like, nowadays, like, my first impression was, like, oh, they clearly, like, after-affected whatever onto the Kazon console. I'm like, no, wait, no, silly Billy. It's 1996. They don't have after-effects. Right. Nowadays, yes, it would either be after-effects or the whole thing would just be an LCD that shows you what's on there anyway. Uh, right. But yeah, it would probably just be After Effects. Uh, yes. So yeah, so Neelix is poking around the computer, and Jonas is being super helpful. And he tells him it's nothing. The law, the gaps in the log entries are nothing to worry about. They're so, data fragmentation from when the plasma went through the ship. I. This is this all what? And and this is one of those like the one of the downsides of like a being like kind of a tech nerd, which mm-hmm. both of us are, and b. 22 years after the episode was written and filmed where it's like what do you mean data fragmentation yeah also how in the world why can you why can you even delete log entries like why is that even something the system lets you do well i mean yeah from the get-go and why is there not like why can't he call up the you know the the first, second, and third order backup files. And why doesn't Tuvok get alerted when someone deletes a log entry? These are all excellent questions that we'll never have answers to because the writers were short-sighted. Yes. And it looks like Jonas was about to kill Neelix when the doctor calls. Jonas is... He's feeling cornered. Yeah. Like, how was he going to talk himself out of that? Like... Uh, Yeah, no. Yeah, like... (laughs) I really feel like more time should have been spent, like, almost, like, setting up Neelix's, the Patsy, instead of Tom Paris. Yes. But anyway, yes, the doctor comes through, and my takeaway from this scene, uh, I I wasn't really paying attention to what the doctor was saying, something about, like, Klingon something, who cares, like, for his idea for his next episode, that he still hasn't done a first episode of. Now, this was an effect, 
uh, the doctor on the screen, because that was not on the CRT monitor. That was actually an effect put onto the... But my takeaway from it was that it gives the impression that in Starfleet, they have the tech to allow the screen to also be the camera. Yes, that makes sense to me. Right, because, like, I mean, obviously what they're doing is they're filming person A, then they're filming person B, and then splicing together and editing, because, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it definitely gives you the effect of they are staring right into the middle of the screen. Because I mean, anyone who's done a video call knows that you are that you are looking at a person you're talking to, but their image is like slightly off angle because the camera is not what they're looking at. Yep. But with Starfleet, obviously the cameras are somehow built into the display because, duh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. It just feels like a little weird to me that they don't use holographic technology more for their communications. And, yeah, and, well, it's because there's only hollow emitters in sickbay. Install more hollow emitters. I know, right? Like, there should be no reason why the captain can't, like, hollow herself down to, to engineering to... Yeah, that would make much more sense. Anyway, so now we're in Tuvok's office. And Neelix is presenting his findings, and Tuvok at first is just brushing him aside, but then finally says, well, this is something that's worth looking into, regard- uh, it, uh, because any possibility of someone contacting the Kazon is a serious security risk. And he's like, I'll look into it, and Neelix is like, I'll help you, and Tuvok says, <laughs> I think not. <laughs> the big thing I took away from that scene was that the word logs lost, lost basically all meaning to me, because Neelix said it like five times in a row. <laughs> well, because he checked all other kinds of logs, and none of, none of the other ones were had data fragmentation. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why? Just why? Yeah. Neelix gets back to investigating, we're back in engineering, and now he's working with Hogan, and Hogan has realized that whoever it was that was sending these messages was not actually using any of the conventional antenna. They were using the ship. Yes. Well, they're using the EPS conduits to channel their transmission through the, like, like the waste emissions, like the waste energy emissions off the ship, which is very clever. So why are they in the regular communications logs in the first place? Dude, who even knows? (laughs) Because, yes, that makes sense to hide it. But then there, should, there shouldn't have been a log to delete in the first place. <laughs> Hogan narrows down, like, a section of the ship where the log almost cer- where the calls almost certainly originated from. Deck based on 4, the- section 3C. Thank you. And off Neelix goes and heads straight to Paris's quarters. It felt a little weird he was able to just, like, let himself in. Yeah, that was weird. It was also weird that he was able to use the engine, which is apparently the blanket engineering authorization code. Yeah, why isn't it voice printed to engineering personnel? Yes. Also, did you notice that it's Omega 4-7? Yeah. I'm also wondering, like, why would that authorization get him past Paris's personal data lock on the console? Well, we have a lot of instances in Star Trek where people just dig into people's personal logs because they're researching something. Hmm. Privacy is not... It's a weird thing. Yeah. It's not like Tok'ra bad, but... No, they have doors. <laughs> but the illness can just walk right through them, so... Yeah. Also, why are they Why are they three-character security authorizations? What is this? Yeah. I just had to create a new password for 
some random thing the other day and it was like no 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 it needs to be at least 12 alphanumeric characters with symbols upper and lower case no three characters repeated in a sequence as in like you can't do like one two three or abc and oh geez that's just ridiculous like this is actually this is actually like a re-up of my previous password and like no two characters or something like, no two numbers I think was like could be the same one from the other. So, like if you even if you could use one two three, you couldn't. You could not then use one two four the next time because one and two would have been the same and in the same location. Uh, yes, that's just asking people to write their passwords down. I have it written down in plain text because it's, it's a system I have to log into like only once every three weeks. Yeah, no, that's asking people to do stupid security things like that. The world is run by robots. And sometimes they ask us if we're a robot. <laughs> just because we're trying to log on and look at our own stuff. Ugh, anyway, not nearly as bad as three characters that without any voice print authorization. <laughs> yes! Because the computer should know that Neelix is not in engineering. Yeah, for real. And that Paris's quarters aren't in engineering and Paris's personal... <laughs> the engineering codes shouldn't give him access to Paris. Yeah, oh my god. No, 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 like, like, Tuvok should get access, Janeway, Jakote, senior officers, etc., etc. Like, I can understand, like, reasons why they'd want to be able to circumvent the access, but a random engineering authorization should not get you into just any crew member's personal computer. And regardless, Neelix shouldn't be able to use the random engineering passcode at all. Security is, like, why have this passcode at all if it, at this point? Just let anyone have access to anything, because that's basically what happens. Yeah, it's so short. There's no voice print. Anyone who overhears anybody from engineering giving that pass, like giving that passphrase, can be like, like, no, 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 rep- replicator is locked down. You can't replicate a phaser or no gatch hemlock. Like, uh, engineering authorization, Omega four seven. Here you go. Have some hemlock. I, I like my hemlock with gatch. I find that the Gatch full hemlock does go a little does does go down a little bit uh, more smoothly than the uh, the gatchless kind, but only once. I mean, if you're gonna off yourself, it's best to do it in style. Yes, by all accounts, it looks like Paris was the uh, was the conspirator. Yeah. So so far this episode, like if th- like if this is like your first introduction to this whole scenario. <laughs> Like, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Neelix was the conspirator, and now all things are pointing at Paris, and it's like, dude. Yeah. So, of course, Neelix being an upstanding journalist who... Just straight up reports this live on his show instead of going to Tuvok. Doesn't do any further investigation. <laughs> Just straight up reports it. So I also, on this note, why did Hogan just like run with it and not be like this is probably something that Tuvok should be looking into yeah really like well because he was still stuck on the same explanation that Jonas gave right that it was like weird data corruption no no Hogan points out the 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 signals right 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 right. yeah yes Hogan in addition to not just blurting out this apparently you know open access code in (laughs) you know to, to anyone who was around should have been like Actually, I'm going to... We should go talk to Tuvok about this. Speaking of Hogan, I, I I forget because he's been on before. 
Have you already commented on the fact that Simon Billig was on Seven Days? Hmm. So we're in Tuvok's office because at this point Neelix has done his broadcast of being like, my bad, I was wrong. Parrish is not a cool guy. He's terrible. Neelix. Anyway, so we're in Tuvok's office along with Chakotay and Janeway. This is, no, this is Janeway's ready room. We're somewhere with people. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) It's Janeway's ready room. Cool. Which is to the left. Yes. From the view screen. (laughs) Yes, from the view screen. Also, dang, Voyager's bridge is big. Yes. And now is when Chakotay finds out that he has been played for the past couple of months. He's not too pleased about this. No. I mean, they're not... They weren't 100% wrong. Yeah. To not bring Chakotay in on it. They weren't 100% right either, though. No. I think Tuvok's whole thing of, like, I don't think you, like, I didn't want to put you in position to go after the Maquis, like, unfounded. I think that Chakotay would have gladly gone after the Maquis. Well, not gladly, but would have. Yeah, I think Chakotay would have done his duty. Yes. The idea, however, of keeping him in the dark so that all of his reactions to Tom Paris were more authentic, that is valid. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's admittedly a little annoyed. He's legitimately a little annoyed about this. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm on Chakotay's side on this one. Mm-hmm. And they decide that Neelix's little gaffe can be played to their advantage, because now the conspirator, whoever he is, because they still don't know, is going to be kind of resting a little easy. Mm-hmm. So Neelix sets back to work, investigating some more. And then we cut to Tom Paris at that computer that they left him with. Yes, and he that and he discovers what we the audience have already known for a few episodes, which is that Jonas Jonas is the traitor. Yes. And at this moment Seska walks in with two armed guards because apparently no, she was not a dummy and she left him in there with a computer on purpose to see if he would. Yeah. I mean, I guess like that seems weird. I mean, on the one hand, like if if she had taken precautions, which she doesn't say, but if she had taken precautions to make sure there was, like, I feel like that she could have laid the computer there as a honey trap without also giving Paris the exact information that he was probably there to get. Yeah. So Paris escapes. Yes. Paris affects a daring escape. So I'm just wondering, like, so I guess just, like, every case on ship is just shaped like this in various sizes or trade ship i suppose it sure feels that way well i mean like federation ships nine nine times out of ten have like the the two warp nacelles and the saucer but not like exactly the like the kazon shuttle is the exact same ship design as the bigger one it's just smaller yeah basically (laughs) that would be like if voyager shuttles were mini voyagers people had to like lay down <laughs> yes in like in the miniaturized saucer section yes that would be amazing <laughs> it could probably only fit like two people tops yeah so yeah on that note like what is like going on at the like at the chin of these Kazon ships anyway oh i don't know it's just a thing like especially on the shuttle there's no way there's like room for people to do something in there Maybe it's a communications array? Mm, could be. I hadn't really given it much thought. Uh, so, yeah. So, he makes a daring escape. 
They do have shields, though, because there was that episode a while back where we con- we we contemplated whether they did did or didn't have shields. I can't tell if they do or not, and I'll get to that a little bit later in this episode. So Paris makes his daring escape, and ha- and Voyager has picked up the shuttle on its way in with a human life son on board. So they call down an engin- engineering where Neelix is there poking around at stuff with Jonas only, because Jonas had conveniently sent Hogan off on a errand because. Torres calls his engineering saying she needs this information and Jonas hands a pad to Hogan and says take this to Torres because I mean I guess I mean I guess if Jonas technically a little bit outranks Hogan yeah no it, my thought on this is just well I, I realize this is the, oh right why why you just 90s, like what, why you just beam of, the data from the yeah. console to Torres's pad yeah or why couldn't Torres just like request the data <laughs> yeah right why anyway. did she have to call Jonas yeah, at all? Why, why, does, why doesn't she have remote access to all engineering systems from her pad? Yes. You know, engineering authorization, Delta 47. Omega 47. Or Omega 47. <laughs> so, Jamie calls down saying that we need more power to, where else? Transporter room 2, so they can beam Paris off the shuttle. Yes. Jonas is like, right away, Captain, presses some buttons and power goes out in engineering. <laughs> yes. He then erects a force field. And Neil is like, what are you doing? This seems weird. He's like, it's just a precaution. Against what? <laughs> yeah. I feel like most of the bad things that can happen in engineering are not going to care if there's a force field or not because the ship's going to be gone. He's doing it as a precaution to keep Tuvok out. I understand that. But it's weird that he says it's just a precaution to Neelix. <laughs> That's my point. Because it almost feels like he's still trying to like play it cool to Neelix, which is weird. Uh, yeah so so you know jonas is there he's like messing with consoles and neil he's like wait a second i recognize that that's a weapon subroutine why do you recognize weapon subroutines neelix you know he's done some stuff yeah you know a fight ensues uh paris has made contact with voyager and managed to communicate back to them that jonas jonas is the traitor so now everyone's on the same page the audience has been on for episodes he uh, and also has told them that they're heading to a trap Yes, but Voyager doesn't care. They're going to save their guy. Mm-hmm. And since Jonas is not cooperating with getting more power to transport to room two, they have to keep getting closer and why. closer. I don't know. It might be because he's the traitor. Mm, could be. Mm. Tubok is on his way down the security team, but the doors are sealed. Have you thought about beaming six feet forward? You know, that is interesting. Why couldn't they just do that? Transporter room three, beam me to engineering. I'm sorry, transporter room two, beam me to engineering. No, no. Transporter room two is busy. They need to make sure they're ready to go and do their fingers on the useless sliders to to get Paris on board. Transporter room one, however... There is no transporter room one. It's an illusion. (laughs) Transporter room two is the only transporter room. They just named it transporter room two. Transporter room room one is going to be installed on Tuesday. (laughs) Yes! So, yeah, but like, they were able to beam Jonas's comm badge out of engineering so clearly the force field is not transporter proof just move like i don't even know why did they even bother taking the turbo lifts or running to engineering they know that's where the scuffle is be like transporter room put me in engineering yeah seriously i get it uses a lot of power but they have a traitor on board i feel like yes there's so many scenarios where they should be using the transporters anyway neelix and jonas continue to fight as with all things star trek very minor blows that feel like they'd be like 
hey, what the heck, you hit me, turn into, like, knocking someone aside. Whatever. They struggle back and forth, and then Jonas goes over the railing and gets flash-fried in a plasma burst from something. Yes, from something. That's never actually explained what that is. Right. Uh, the force field goes down, weapons are restored, and Voyager opens fire. Because Neelix apparently really does know how to what the weapons consoles look like, because he knows how to restore power to them. Neelix is going to have to have a long sit-down with somebody after this. He stole authorization codes. He apparently knows what weapons subroutines are. He's not a very good investigative journalist because he, you know, just goes off half-cocked and been like, I found a new piece of information, and I'm going to change the whole story now and tell, tell it to you as I go. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, so weapons are restored. Harry starts firing upon the Kazon ship. And it gets destroyed in short order, so maybe they don't have shields. It didn't get destroyed. It just got damaged. At least we didn't see it In short order. Okay. Uh, like, they fired, like, three blasts from the phasers, and the and the Kazon ship was disabled. Yeah, that was interesting. So maybe they don't have shields. But they do have shields, because we've seen them. But the they shield. do have shields, because we've seen them. But maybe they don't, because they keep being terrible. <laughs> that was a bad sentence, and I don't care. Okay. So, then Janeway calls down to engineering, Janeway to Tuvok, I'm standing down from red alert. Why? Because the Kazon ship is disabled? No, why is she calling down to Tuvok to tell him him specifically this? Oh, that's a good point. I have no answer for that. He is the tactical officer, but he's not, like, there. Yeah. He's busy also. And he would notice that they're standing down from red alert when the red alert things go away and the lights come back on right oh that was weird so that's another thing mm-hmm. does making everything darker make people pay attention better and go to fight better i wonder if this is actually something that like harkens back to like way early days so red light does not travel as far yeah yeah so they would have killed, like, I'm talking, like, way back. Mm-hmm. Like, early day ship combat. Mm-hmm. When they would have done, like, light and noise discipline. They would have killed the running lights on the ship and any of their interior lights as well. Certainly anything that has, like, a porthole. Right. And switch to red light. Okay. So they So they could not be seen as far away. Yeah. So I get that. That's probably where Red Alert originally comes from, actually. Sure. But, on a starship in the 24th century, why do they dim the lights? Old habits die hard. (laughs) That's the best I have for you, man. Like, why do they still call, like, why do they still call them dry docks? Because it feels like you'd want, you'd want the, to have your illumination set so that you can see everything well when you're, you know, rushing around in in a battle. Uh, Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it helps a lot of the consoles are backlit themselves. Yeah, it's still weird. It is. It's something I hadn't really thought about a whole lot. Also, I don't think they dimmed the lights on the original series when they went to Red Alert, but I can't remember for sure. For sure, but I know they did it in TNG. Hmm. Hmm. Not as much though, because the Enterprise was just more brightly lit than Voyager in general. Okay. So the episode ends with Paris giving an interview to Neelix, where Paris apologizes for his behavior. Uh, especially to Chakotay, although he did have a little fun 
being a giant douche nozzle to to Chakotay. That's fair. Yeah, I get behind that. Neelix apologizes for putting off the doctor yet again and then winks at the camera. And that's pretty much the episode. We got to the end eventually. It took us a little while. Yep, and we get a shot. We get the the ever the the very common shot of the back of the ship with one of the lights burned out. Right. I, I mean, some of those tangents, I was really worried that we were going to be stuck in just like this like weird like conversational deadlock of just like tangent on tangent on tangent, you know? Nice. Okay, that's amazing. Conveniently, that is deadlock is next week's episode. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. I'm at Gamicus on Twitter. And I'm at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at DeltaFlyerPod. And that's our show. Yeah. Stopping. Yeah, and eagle-eared listeners will... Oh, that's the wrong thing. This is not... E- what are... What keen? Good... Yeah. Just keen-eared? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what kind of animal has really good hearing? Dogs. <laughs> Dog ears. I'm not gonna say dog-eared listeners. <laughs> Our listeners are like books to us. <laughs> this should be at the end of the episode. Uh- <laughs> <laughs>